0: Yes, we're considering this very inspiring example of Barnabas uh, to encourage us and to help us in very practical ways to define what fellowship is all about. And as we learned last evening, of course, Barnabas was a very generous, generous person as far as his finances were concerned. And now we're going to layer that again and show that it wasn't only sort of in the practical support of widows and families that are in need. Now there's an individual brother who, of course... Uh, needs to be accepted into the Jerusalem Ecclesia and Barnabas was the one who really was the catalyst for that whole process. So it shows that extra layer of his definition and understanding of fellowship and by implication for ourselves as well there are practical lessons. So as we learnt last evening, Barnabas sort of burst on the scene quite quickly with a show of generosity and he sort of disappeared from the record for a little bit. About three years have gone by. Well, Paul recognises that he was three years in Damascus and Arabia so we've got a sort of a a bit of a timeline there. Um, So now we're reintroduced to the work of Barnabas as Saul comes back to the Jerusalem ecclesia. We I guess we need to paint the scene a little bit because we need to understand the awkwardness of that whole situation. Uh, Saul in his previous state was a very violent person. We know that he'd wreaked havoc right through Jerusalem, particularly to the brothers and sisters and their families. He'd he'd broken them down, he'd imprisoned members, and he'd voiced his consent to their death. So by his individual fervour, he really had shattered the ecclesia in Jerusalem. And of course, as we know from the narrative, he even set his sights off to far off Damascus and wanted to eradicate brothers and sisters uh, in that city and in that place. So we need to sort of understand the trauma that Saul had introduced into that whole area. Uh, very difficult for us to understand. Of course, imagine packing a, a suitcase for the weekend because you're going to head off to Damascus and then return. We actually don't for three years. So for Saul, that was his determination. And of course, he disappears from the scene for, for about three years. And now it comes to a point in, in his life where he's in danger in Damascus himself uh, and really had nowhere to go. Uh, the city was surrounded. He was going to be apprehended, perhaps letters from. The Sanhedrin in Jerusalem be sent through to the governor there in Damascus that this man was causing chaos in Damascus and needed to be arrested. And so now for Saul, where where is he going to go? And he seeks refuge back in the ecclesia in Jerusalem. So on the other side, of course, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem now are going to be confronted with a man who wreaked havoc in their lives and now he was coming back to Jerusalem. And perhaps they'd been very comfortable that he'd been a member of the Damascus Ecclesia for a number of years. They'd sort of heard that he'd been converted and, well, they were comfortable that he's in that Ecclesia way over there. But now, of course, comes a situation where he's uh, going to be reintroduced to the Ecclesia there. It would be very challenging for brothers and sisters who'd been affected by his uh, vigorous determination to forgive and to accept for the consequences that they were still experiencing. And, of course, difficult on Saul's part as well, brother Saul. So, you know, how is this all going to gel together? Well, we notice in verse 26, the narrative says to us that when Saul has come to Jerusalem, he essayed rather unusual word, I guess, in the King James, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But the word means, of course, to, to, to attempt, to test, uh, to join. is the Greek word kaleo, and it means to cleave or to glue. So we get this understanding that Saul was quite in a desperate situation. He wanted fellowship, he wanted connection with his brothers and sisters. His whole life has been upturned, it's in a mess. And he comes back to the Ecclesia in Jerusalem, he knows he's got to reconcile himself, but how is he going to do it? So he, tests, he tries to connect himself with the brothers and sisters. But the record goes on to say that they were afraid. Greek word is a phobia, from where we get our English word phobia. And of course this has built up in the minds of many brothers and sisters that well, they didn't know if they could trust this man who was coming back to Jerusalem. So he essayed to join with the disciples. And of course, it's interesting when we track back through to verse 19, that same reference to disciples is there, but in an entirely different context. Because it says there, he was strengthened and saw certain days with the disciples in in, in Damascus. So there's two sort of ecclesias, it's disciples there in Damascus, disciples in Jerusalem. And I think it's interesting they use that term, because for all of them, that, that word disciples means sort of an instruction process. And they were learning about the experiences in life and how they needed to be generous in supporting brothers and sisters who were a little bit on the outside. So, of course, Saul was in a very difficult position. He faced a couple of issues. One was the antagonism of the Sanhedrin, who had obviously sent a message to the garrison there in Damascus that this man needed to be arrested. And then, of course, there was the suspicion of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. um, After his conversion, I mean, three years has gone by. Three years. And again, in practical terms, when we have these situations in ecclesial life, We generally like to resolve them reasonably quickly. But, of course, three years have gone by and there's still that stigma attached with Brother Saul. And now comes a wonderful introduction into the narrative. And it's there in verse 27, a very simple phrase, but Barnabas took him. What a lovely phrase that is. And the Greek word there is epilabano, epilabano. And it's an intensive Greek word that means to embrace or to lay hold or to seize possession of. Metaphorically to help save one from peril. So here's Barnabas and I can see him standing at the door of the Jerusalem Ecclesia and brother Saul comes in uh, quite anxious with a little bit of trepidation and brother Barnabas just embraces him and welcomes him to the meeting. And that's sort of to me the idea of the word. Well the same word is used when Peter was drowning in Matthew 14 verse 31 by our Lord Jesus Christ who embraced Peter and lifted him out of that situation where Peter was floundering, drowning in the water. Matthew 14, 31 says, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, Peter, why do you doubt? So that was an embracing thing from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord loved Peter and the fervour and the faith of Peter was being demonstrated and then he was struggling in in that sort of particular circumstance and Jesus lifted him out now When Jesus lifted him out of the water, it wouldn't be with a finger, it wouldn't just be with a hand, it would have been a complete embrace, and he lifts Peter out. So that's the idea of Barnabas here as he welcomes brother Saul. And similar perhaps to Ananias, I think, here back in verse 17, where it says Ananias went his way into the house, and I love this little phrase, putting his hands on him. Can you imagine in the blackness uh, of life's experiences that everything is turned upside down, and you're in a deep and a dark place, and you don't know where you're going to go, and you feel some hands on your shoulder, Brother Saul, so comforting. And it's replicated now, of course, in Barnabas's action. So, you know, we can imagine how comforting that would have been for, for Brother Saul. Felt totally isolated, totally rejected. Um, perhaps people in the ecclesia were muttering about, well, we're not sure if he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, there would have been all these rumours going about uh, Saul. And imagine if he found the pressure just so difficult, that he just gave up on everything and maybe in resistance and bitterness reversed his decision, left the truth and continued to persecute the ecclesias. Uh, and that's a situation that happens sometimes. We know that, you know, sadly there are brothers and sisters that have been disfellowshipped for, for behaviour or other issues, and they seem to have a renewed vengeance on Christadelphian. We have websites, you know, ex-Christadelphian websites where this bitterness just outpours. So it is a possibility that Saul could have reversed back from where he was. But how thankful we are that Brother Barnabas embraced Saul and introduced him into the ecclesia. There could have been amazing, uh, terrible repercussions. In fact, the whole ecclesial well could have broken up because Brother Saul had been in the ecclesia in Damascus for three years. They were comfortable. They were okay with him. And you can imagine the ecclesia in Damascus now getting... Quite anxious and angry that the ecclesia in Jerusalem hadn't accepted Brother Saul. And now there's a whole process of inter ecclesial fellowships that fragments and breaks up. So, you know, these scenarios are quite possible. We've seen them happen in our own community. So, this son of consolation, this great encourager, that's the meaning of his name as we learn, uh, embraces Saul. Now, what's interesting is we call him the encourager, but you know what? In the narrative so far, we haven't heard a word from Barnabas. There would have been, obviously, uh, considerable discussions with Brother Saul, but Barnabas has no actual statements recorded uh, at all. You know, he wasn't. we don't hear in the narrative that he's saying, well, Peter, you know, you're doing really well, and uh, John, it's good to see you cooperating with Peter. You know, that's not in the narrative. It's sort of silent. So what it's telling us here is Barnabas was not just a man of words. You know, sometimes in our lives we, we like to comfort brothers and sisters and all we do is... Well, we verbalise that and that's about all we ever do. It's just words, vaporous words we might say. But Barnabas was actually a man of action. There's no particular statement here, but the consequence in his action is certainly recorded. So he stood up and he declared, says the record in verse 27, to the apostles, uh, how that Paul, well, Saul had seen the Lord in the way, he'd spoken to him and he preached boldly in Damascus. Now, that takes a lot of courage because Barnabas wasn't on the level of an apostle. There were 12 12 significant men in the ecclesia there that were giving direction to 5,000 converts. Barnabas wasn't at that, that level of status, but he had the courage to embrace and step forward with Brother Saul and introduce him to the apostles and to the ecclesia. So it takes courage, it takes perception, and it illustrates to us, I think, the very generous understanding that Barnabas had about forgiveness. We don't know the confession and the conversation that Saul had with Barnabas, but it's obviously there because Barnabas knew all about it and that's the the aspect that he conversed with the apostles. So I think, you know, as we come before the tale of the Lord and there's the illustration of immense forgiveness here for us that we need, I think we need to challenge ourselves. Do we have the same generosity of forgiveness when it comes to repairing and restoring? and encouraging brothers and sisters that are struggling or who perhaps have a problematic past. Uh, do we discard people? You know, we all live busy lives, we've got families, we've got things that we need to attend to. Are we so busy with our own lives and focused on all the arrangements that we have in place that there are brothers and sisters that are falling aside or who are perhaps lonely in the ecclesia that, well, we don't have time for that. And if we are aware of that, do we, like Barnabas, try to nurture and advance these brothers and sisters so that they can reach their full potential? It requires courage, but also the gentleness of a Barnabas. So he wasn't a rough brother. And this becomes one of the, the core characteristic hallmarks of this beautiful brother who was known for his encouragement, but not only in words, only in a very practical way he was able to embrace brothers and sisters, nurture them, and raise them up. So Barnabas sought out Saul and introduced him to the Ecclesia. You know, in our own Ecclesia, I've got the example in mind when we were running a, a series of seminars and uh, we had a brother in our Ecclesia that actually invited some of the uh, young men that had left the truth and gone off on their own ways, he invited them around to a barbecue. <laughs> That's all he really did. Uh, but that was, a, To me, it was an amazing gesture that we're running a seminar and he was concerned with some of the young brethren that drifted out, well, they probably weren't even brethren, they weren't baptized, they were young men who had grown up through the Sunday school and then made their own way in life. He actually rang them and said, come around for a barbecue, want to have a chat because, you know, we've got some seminars starting up, you might be interested in that. So it's sometimes going to be just a simple thing like that. So there's that beautiful expression, Barnabas took him. Uh, It's prefaced, of course, uh, by that word, but... um, It's it's repeated in verse 26. Saul has said to join himself to the disciples, but, it's like a a shut-out word, isn't it? But they were afraid of him. Then again in verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he'd seen the Lord in the way and spoken about those things to Barnabas. So it almost illustrates to us that it appears that Barnabas is the only one. Everybody was standing back, but it took a Barnabas to stand forward. Uh, Weymouth says, They believed not... However, Barnabas came to his assistance. So Barnabas steps into that void, into that vacuum, and he takes Saul, he brings him in, and he, he declares, Barnabas declares on the behalf of Saul uh, what had been happening in Saul's life. So there'd been, obviously, a deep discussion. And in fact, the narrative points that way, because it says that Barnabas told the apostles, the ecclesia, how that Saul had seen the Lord, all those events, how he'd spoken to him, and the the historical events that happened after that, the preaching campaigns of Brother Saul. And as well, when we link across, we won't go to Galatians, but Galatians chapter 1 gives a bit of a, a precursor to the events that were happening. And Paul makes a particular point in that epistle when he's writing to the Galatians. He says, I didn't see anyone that was prominent in the Ecclesia when I came back to Jerusalem, apart from Peter and James, the only two men that he saw. I saw Peter and James, but no one else. And the reason why he made uh, and had discussions with Peter and James is because, of course, those two brethren preeminently had difficulties in accepting Christ as the Messiah. So, of course, you know, Peter, uh, in the denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, I don't know the man, and the the way that Peter felt the sorrow uh, after he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. That was something that Paul saw good attached to. And also, you know, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who grew up with Christ and thought, well, Is he supposed to be the Messiah? I don't think so. And now those men that come into the Ecclesia were foundation members, but they had a history that Saul wanted to have a discussion and a connection with because he had the same problem. So it's a wonderful thing for brothers and sisters to go through sometimes tough times in our life and we wonder, why am I going through this tough time? Why is my faith being challenged? Or why are these circumstances coming upon me? It's so, brothers and sisters, we can connect to people who might be struggling with the same issues. You can become an encourager by the tough times that you've gone through. And, of course, there's Saul who who connected to these brethren. So James tells us that we need to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. So what's this whole process all about? We're going to talk about how the process of forgiveness works. So confession, first of all, what, what does that mean? Saul would have obviously confessed to Barnabas and to the ecclesia. What a confession that would be. So the first thing we need to do is accept the gravity of our position, our sin. It's not something we just brush off lightly. We accept that we've done some damage to people. We acknowledge as well that we need the help of others to restore and rebuild. We need to lean on other people. We can't do this independently. We're so thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ. We we lean upon him this morning because we're not going to achieve the kingdom in any other way. We also accept accountability to the ecclesia. And that's what Saul and Barnabas are doing here. Barnabas didn't shuffle him off to somewhere else. He said to Saul, you know what? We need to confess, we need to rebuild, we need to repair, and you need to be accountable to the people that you've damaged. And as well as that, you know, we suffer pain when we go through that process of disfellowship. It's it's good for us. It it teaches us accountability and the need for us to restore and rebuild. So I guess for ourselves, we need to think about that. Could could we become the encourager for a brother or sister who is struggling here in this meeting? who may be here physically but are struggling with their faith, or family life, or employment, educate, all of these things in the swirl of life circumstances, sometimes we find ourselves floundering and a brother and sister can be such a relief to us. Are we willing to get involved? I think that's probably one of the big questions. See, Bar- I, I love Barnabas because he got himself involved in this situation. For most of us, we, we sort of step back and say, well, I hope the AB handle that because, you know, they need to do something, <laughs> and that's not enough. We're here as a community, we're here as a family, we're here to emulate the Barnabas spirit of generosity on many levels, and one of them is really looking after our brothers and sisters and finding out how they're doing. So we have to create that environment of openness and conversation with each other. That's who we have to become, and we can all do that. You know, there might be certain things in the ecclesia that we can't do or we feel awkward about, but we can all be encouragers and, and give comfort and support. We can mentor one another as we walk the pathway to the kingdom together. And I I often wonder, you know, there's that beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, a definition of love, and I wonder, I like to think that when Paul was penning that, on the backdrop of all that was Barnabas. You know, it wasn't just a a theorisation on what love is all about, but he had people in his life that when he's penning that, when he's penning this statement, love thinks no evil, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, he's thinking of Barnabas, because that for him was the true definition definition of love. Well, what was the outcome? Well, we notice, of course, that in verse 30, we we sort of read the statement here that he came into Jerusalem, uh, and the next minute they seem to be bundling Saul off to Caesarea, and wherever after that. Verse 30 says, When the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Uh, Now, now I've read this wrongly, of course, on many occasions, and previously I, I read this Sort of narrative because it seemed to me the ecclesia couldn't handle the situation, so they bundled Saul off to Tarsus because he was a problem. He's a hot potato that the ecclesia didn't want to, to be able to handle. And I guess in some ways, there's a dis, there's a disappointment with the ecclesia here in Adelaide that we had that option. You know, in some places there's only one ecclesia, so you have to resolve it, and that's the right process. Well, here, of course, if you don't fix up problems, you just go down the road to another ecclesia, which is not helpful. But that's not actually the case here. The ecclesia actually were moving. To protect Paul from external death threats, so when we read verse twenty-nine and thirty, it says Saul spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He disputed with the Grecians, and they were going to slay. They were going to slay him. And I love this statement. You see the word brethren, which when the brethren knew, they brought him to Caesarea. So Saul wasn't a hot potato that they were just pushing off because the Ecclesia couldn't, you know, help or support him. It was a protective measure because Saul was just so enthused about the truth. He was preaching it everywhere. They could see in the man that he was fully converted. And so as a protective element, they said, Saul, um, there's some death threats. We need to give you refuge. Uh, And, of course, they sent him back to his his hometown. And it wasn't a fear. Verse 31 says, Then had the Ecclesiastes rest through all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified, I don't say walking in the fear of Paul, It says, walking in the fear of Yahweh and were were comforted. So they were were comforted because uh, Saul was now protected from those death threats that were coming, of course, by the Sanhedrin because he would have been a particularly targeted man. So they protected him from harm. And, of course, there's this whole beautiful process of of restoration. You notice they sent him to Caesarea. Well, who is at Caesarea? Caesarea. Well, when we go back to chapter, we won't do it, but you might make a note. Chapter eight and verse 40. Uh, Philip, the evangelist, was there, and Philip's best buddy, best friend, was Stephen, who Saul gave his voice to put to death. Stephen. So Saul now goes back to the care of the brothers and sisters in Caesarea before he continues to Tarsus. It's Philip, the evangelist, who is there with his daughters, and Philip was associated. They were stewards together with Stephen that Saul initially was involved in putting to death. So you can, behind the scenes here, there's this amazing and beautiful process of restoration and rebuilding. Well, there's an additional detail, I won't go to this passage in Acts 22, verse 17 to 21. Saul repeats this, the whole narrative of what happened. But there was a statement, there was a vision, there was an instruction that came from Christ himself. Here in Acts 22, it says, uh, the direction of Christ to Saul, make haste and get out of Jerusalem. Depart from here, I'm going to send you to preach the Gentiles. So there's this statement that Saul now should go and preach to the Gentiles. So the directive of the ecclesia was to follow the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not doing it because they, he was a hot potato and they couldn't deal with it. They're following through the instructions of Christ that Saul should go and preach to the Gentiles and they send him off to Tarsus for the next 10 years. So we know that Saul was in the area of Tarsus for another 10 years because there's a blank spot in the chronology of of Paul, Saul's life. In Galatians 2 and verse 1, he talks about a 14-year period before he went back to Jerusalem. So three years in Arabia, of course, we add that on, uh, plus 10, and he's a year in Antioch, 14 years. So 10 years later, Barnabas goes and searches out for Saul to bring him on board to help him with the reconstruction or the rebuilding or, or the development of the Gentile Ecclesia in Antioch. Well, verse 31 says the ecclesia had rest, and there's two reasons for that. If you look historically, Josephus says there was a Roman invasion, so there was a distraction. Of course, everyone was worried about that. And secondly, the ecclesia had done, well, the ecclesia was in rest because Barnabas had done a massive reconstruction or reconciliation with Saul. So these, you know, little uh, incidents that, that happened and, and were difficult for the ecclesia to work through had now been resolved by the generous spirit of Barnabas who made reconciliation with Saul and of course the brethren now caring for Saul um, helped him through to the pathway to Tarsus to preach to the Gentiles. So we need to think brothers and sisters about this whole process of forgiveness that we see Barnabas initiating and carrying through and I want to talk about four aspects of forgiveness that we need to take on board for ourselves when we look at this beautiful spirit of Barnabas. Four aspects. First one, become a welcoming brother or sister. All right, this, this is our responsibility as individual brothers and sisters to do that. Barnabas shows us that. It wasn't the ecclesia that embraced Saul. It was by the initiation and the welcoming, welcoming spirit of Barnabas that Saul was able to find resolution. So we need to become welcoming brothers and sisters. Especially when we have new members. I mean, It's, it's such a wonderful experience. Uh, when we have a new member and we can encourage and support them, but also when we have visitors uh, and other people that attach themselves to our ecclesia. Romans 15, 7 says, Receive ye one another as Christ has received us to the glory of God. So there's almost a correlation between the Barnabas spirit and his embracing and his receiving of Saul and this is the command that echoes down to us as well. We have to be embracing. When a brother or sister is re we need to rebuild. You know, We don't plant them at the back of the hall and say, we'll sit there for another you know, year or two and then we'll, we'll see how things go. It's, we want to embrace them. And I do remember talking to a brother in America who said, we actually have, we deliver the right hand of fellowship when we announce the restoration of a brother or sister to our ecclesia. I thought that was a quite amazing practical way of giving reassurance to someone who's done some damage to their own lives or the lives of other brothers and sisters or the ecclesia, to restore them to a rightful position. A right hand of fellowship is given. We welcome you back into fellowship. (laughs) So we need to be those sort of welcoming uh, brothers and sisters for those that have been disfellowshipped and we bring them back. It's a new beginning for them. It's a new start for them. And we have to reinforce that aspect. And if you've travelled overseas, of course, you'd be recipients of incredible gestures of welcomeness when you travel the, the world, it's just an amazing thing that wherever you go, there are brothers and sisters that will embrace and welcome you into their homes. And again, I remember some amazing stories of, of um, visiting, well, there were interested friends who were newly baptized, and the brother dropped us off at the front of their house and said, uh, these brothers and sisters have just been newly baptized, they're six months into the truth, but they want to have lunch with you. And I remember knocking on the door, And the door opens wide and the brothers say, Brother Steve, Sister Beth, welcome. We've been waiting so long to catch up with you. We want to do the readings before we we have lunch. Come on in. You know, just, wow, that is amazing. Never seen them in our lives. But we felt like, you know, best friends then and there. It was such a wonderful experience. So we need to be welcoming people because that's who Barnabas was. Second point is we need to be protective to the vulnerable. You know, we, we imagine that Saul... With all his confidence, his determination, he was an individual that was strong, he had a massive backbone. But you know what? He was a vulnerable person at one stage in life. He lost his confidence. He needed restoration and rebuilding. And Barnabas became the protective person that helped him through that situation. There were others in the ecclesia that were suspicious about this brother Saul. We're not quite sure if he's genuine. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, and if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do you. There's the Barnabas spirit. You know, so historically, brothers and sisters, whatever little level of bitterness we've perhaps allowed to grow in our life, we need to let that go. We need to turn the page. Because that's the spirit of Christ. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we love coming here this morning. Because it's a relief to us in our own lives to turn a page. And to know that forgiveness is absolute. Times in our lives, for all of us, I think that we may be lonely, may be vulnerable, Maybe because of a bad decision we've made in life or a statement that we've made to another brother or sister. And we need to show friendship to to each other and to be protective of each other uh, as the ecclesia there was. And Barnabas really was putting his reputation on the line. It was quite a courageous thing uh, to help brother Saul. He was putting his own reputation on the line and sometimes we have to do that. Um, Third thing is be patient. And we see this in the life of Saul, 10 years later Barnabas is going to go and get Brother Saul to help uh, build the Ecclesia in Antioch. We have to be patient with one another. And I don't think we are today because we live in a world of SMSs and in amazing emails that just fly all over the place without too much thought. So we have to wind back and be patient. We, we can't expect radical change to happen in each other overnight. It takes rebuilding, it takes time. And as I say, 10 years, it was a a quiet period in Saul's life as he rebuilt himself. We talk about Moses, of course, going into the desert for 40 years. Well, it wasn't much different for Saul. He had to have that same confidence rebuilding process. Paul wrote to Timothy 2 and Timothy 2, verse 24 and 25. He says, the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach and patiently enduring and correcting with gentleness. I see Barnabas as a very patient man helping to correct very gently people that sort of were finding the way uh, difficult. And the fourth and last, last point is we need to see the potential in one another, not the problems. And Barnabas, again, did that in such an amazing way. He didn't see the problems that were swirling around the life of Saul. He saw the potential in this man as he went out and preached with great enthusiasm and energy. Massive potential there. And Barnabas was going to nurture that. He saw the potential in Saul, not the problems. And again, this is something that we all struggle with because we can see the problems in everybody else, not so well in ourselves. So we need to have the vision. When we see a, a young person getting baptised, you know, we don't sort of in the back of our mind think, well, I hope that goes okay because I really know they're not where I would have thought they should be. We've got to see the potential that we can nurture these young ones into becoming you know, eventually arranging brethren of our ecclesias. So that takes, again, a little bit of foresight. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. He says, We thank God always for you, brothers, as it is meet, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you toward each other abounds. See, when Paul saw the potential in the Ecclesia of Thessalonica, he didn't write about all the problems that they had. He said, we make mention of you because we hear that your love abounds. It's a very positive aspect that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ecclesia in Thessalonica about. So what we've seen this morning is from our first study, is Barnabas now moves from being a generous person as far as money and possessions and assets is concerned in a practical way. We've seen him move from that now to be generous with his compassion. So this is a layer that we'll build on the character of Barnabas as we go through these studies. So questions for us as we think about the emblems now and as we prepare our minds to receive very graciously the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are there times when you see brothers and sisters, or young people, or visitors standing alone at the meeting? Do you detach yourself from your conversation and make an effort to encourage and involve them? You know, in ecclesial life, we like to talk to our family, to the people that we want to catch up on. But are there people that you notice who are standing alone? Uh, they may be struggling with something, or they may just like a, a hello and, and a welcome. So this is something that this is the Barnabas spirit coming through. Up to now, there's no recorded statements by Barnabas. Is our encouragement, I mean, now there's another level, is our encouragement in words only, or do we involve ourselves practically in people's lives? There are people that we need to be able to support. Of course, we've talked about in this current situation of isolation, you know, as sisters in our ecclesia, I know have been buzzing around, visiting these uh, ones in isolation and providing meals for them. It's a simple it's a little thing, but it's a gesture of attachment and concern and thoughtfulness. Uh, Barnabas listened to Saul's story in verse 27 and became aware of his background. Have we taken the time to have those conversations with brothers and sisters? Again, I'm I'm going to say in our own ecclesia, I can remember a brother standing up and giving his life story as an introduction to how he came to the truth. And I'd been in the ecclesia for, I don't know, five or ten years. Did not know that background. And it was impressive. He had his his wife disconnected and, and walked away from him because he accepted the truth. I never really knew that. So there are lots of conversations that we need to have with one another about where we've been, what we're doing, and and what's happening in our background. And finally, there are members in our ecclesias who've had a difficult past. Do we really forgive them or are we tinged with some ongoing suspicion that, well, you know, maybe this will happen or I'm not quite sure where they sit? (laughs) We need to be able to divest ourselves of that and just work with the good. Just see the positive, see the opportunities to build and restore one another. This is the Barnabas spirit. So we now look to a man, of course, who really is superior from Barnabas in every single way. A man who has lifted us up, a man who has embraced us. And despite our past or maybe our present, brothers and sisters, that we're struggling with, despite the negative effect that we have on others sometimes with the things that we do or say, there's an all-consuming essence of forgiveness emanating from his example and from the emblems here upon the table. Our Lord Jesus Christ is generous with his forgiveness. And the Apostle Paul wrote this a little bit later. He says, the life that I now live, I live by my faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul never, ever forgot that. It was sort of echoed in the in the life and the gesture of Barnabas as a sort of a, a replication of the Lord Jesus Christ. But above and beyond that, Paul was just so relieved that all the damage he'd caused in his life to brothers and sisters and his ecclesia, that above and beyond that Jesus Christ embraced him and gave him absolute forgiveness. We're here this morning to celebrate that in our own lives. May we commit to the following then in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ and have the fortitude and the maturity to develop within ourselves the Barnabas spirit and become brothers and sisters of encouragement and consolation. Thanks, brothers and sisters, be to God for his unspeakable gift.